Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra angelic edition of Thrush and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that locks the Grateful Dead inside a cage with candor and ebb for scientific purposes. And speaking of dead inside, I'm Aaron. And I'm joined as unusual by the man who can stand back from the microphone with his hands in the air and wave them around like he just don't care because he's Spencer, the Broadway spy. How's it going? Welcome to the show. Well, you've been part of the show for a while now. Thanks so much, Aaron. I'm excited to do this today. And so for our listeners at home, obviously you've been doing the ad break for, you've done eight of them so far, of the, the reviews for shows that are currently on Broadway because you're a college student studying in New York City. So would you like to tell our listeners what you're studying? Yeah, so I'm in New York uh, studying jazz and contemporary music at the new school in Greenwich Village, and I try and see every show on Broadway. And so you've sort of made the perfect guinea pig to join us today, because obviously you're studying music, you love your, your musicals, so let's throw you into a metal album, shall we? Yes. Awesome. So we're going to jump straight into it because guess what? What? Holy Robinson Pete, metal man. We've got two legendary returning divas up in the belfry and they're here to take us to church tonight on a very special blossom. We were wrapped when our first guest gifted us with her presents on Christmas morning for a white Christmas, but other colours and shades are available. Unwrapping a 30 plus year career where there's a legacy of lipsticking joy to the world by this angelic beauty who never misses Holland's opus with performances up Sunset Boulevard on White Christmas with Napoleon and Henry Ive, but Jekyll and Hyde won't take me along to Urine Town because they miss Saigon. So merrily we roll along before the dimming of the day with a sleigh full of TV and film appearances, helping her Santa Claus into today's chosen noisical, singing the praises and phrases of our second returning guest, who first joined us for the Belleville Headbangers Ball, which was no doubt the highlight of this painfully phenomenal career because this man made a man out of Hercules and turned Mulan from zero to hero and vice versa with his wickedly wonderful words that woke the warrior within the world's wee ones whilst whipping up a wagon of awards and widening his reach after already winning the Great White Weights. Welcome with this week's winning Hollywoodsicle, as well as counting the countless acclaimed collaborations with the galaxy's most accoladed composers, including Coleman, Cantor, Mencken, Hamlish, Wilder and Lloyd Webber, with whom his wilder, not-so-precious, badass Cinderella hits the Broadway stage in the new year. Luckily, because today's these two precious crystals are slipping back into our thrush and treasure chest, so with a cut print, we deliver a huge Aussie g'day and a welcome back to two of our favourite guests as this legendary lyricist and Alpha Betty take us from A to Z, or Z if you're stunning, which she is because she's our Stasi and he's the sweetest soul in Hollywood, Broadway, heck, the whole galaxy, being the wordsmith of the woman in white, the goodbye girl, the star Spangled Man, Veronica's Closet theme, Liza at the Palace with a C, a high C, when hitting the high C's as the singing voice of Jean-Bob in The Swan Princess. And I could go on, but we're running out of time and breath and turning into pumpkins. So get pumped, kids, because that was a terrible rhyme. But we always have time for the ones and onlys, Lady Anastasia Barzi and Sir David Zippel. Yay! That was great! old friends, la 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 la. I don't know the words. Good day, mate. How are you going? Welcome back. Pretty amazing, Aaron. Thank you so much. Do you know how much practice that takes? And I could not get it all week. That accoladed bit, I just could not get, and I still stumbled no. in the end. So 
I hope I outdid the first time because that was my goal is to make an even bigger fool of myself. So I hope I succeeded. It's wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. So how are you guys going? Good. Good. It's quite a tumultuous time on Broadway at the moment. Oh my goodness. Patty LaBarrange just quit equity. Oh my God. But you know, that's none of our business. That is all everyone else's. When did she do that? This morning. About an hour ago. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. She said, what did she say? She actually had a great tweet. Yeah, it's um, banding her name around. Yeah, it's pretty great. I've just handed in my equity card. I'm done with this circus. I'm like, yes, queen. I saw her at the opening of the piano lesson last Thursday. She seemed in good form. Here She says, she says, quite a week on Broadway, seeing my name being bandied about, gave up my equity card, no longer part of that circus. Figure it out. The ripples are felt across the world, I tell you that. The gays are in shock, akin to Stonewall, really. No, it's not. Oh, my God. It's a terrible <laughs> analogy. I'm going to hell anyways. It doesn't matter. I guess it's is it in response to the Lilius White situation during Hades Town? Is it in response to... Uh, I thought it was in response to 1776. I took it as as it was a response to the Lilius White because everyone was comparing it to it. Yeah. That, that's what I took it as. Oh. Um, the 1776 thing is a whole different issue. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I took it as, which I've now dubbed 1332 because that's 75% of 1776. And I, I know I'm going to hell. Oh, my God. Oh, that's hysterical. I am in Australia, so they cannot get me anyway. You're far away. Did they do did Equity do something to Lil? I know she made a mistake and apologized for it, but. I, I don't think it's that. I think it's just like, you know, Twitter and Facebook and theater in general was very angry. And they were saying, you know, that she was trying to pull a Patty Lapone, And, you know, that's the stuff I read. I didn't read much into that one. I went down the rabbit hole with 1776 or what is it? 13 what? 1332. That's 75% of 76. That's really, really good. Thank you. 1332. Of course, no one retweeted my joke. You know, that's a story of my life. Oh, I'm going to go find it. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll slip it into your DMs because I am completely shameless as we already know on this show. So anyways, we're going to move on to the metal album. Nothing's current events. Well, I don't pay attention. That's the thing. I have the words the and and muted on Twitter. I have no idea what's going on with anything. Oh. It's so quiet. It's really good. It's nothing against anyone else. It's just quiet. It's peaceful and quiet. It's quieter. <laughs> I enjoy it. My Twitter this week has actually been talking about one of David's projects. Oh, um, mm. Which is... Which one? which is Hercules at, at the paper mill that I know I'm very excited for. And a lot of people my age are as well, which uh, we've not seen for a Disney show in quite a while. I'm so jealous. I want to see it so badly because I know it was done. Shakespeare in the Park, is it? Regents. Yeah. We did it in the park. And then uh, now we're doing it. It was part of a public works presentation. There were 250 plus people in it. We're trying to do it now fewer than 30. <laughs> <laughs> Much more sustainable, I think. Quite a big difference. I, I can't wait because that score is fun. It's and it's very it harkens back to Little Shop of Horrors with Menken's music, that sort of flavor to it, even though it's sort of Motown. Yeah. Um, and there's a sort of calypso with um Little Mermaid and sort of throws back to Little Shop, which I still maintain, as I said the other day, is and will always be one of the best, if not the best, stage to screen adaptations, because it's just perfect. So and anyways, I know Oh, that's a great movie. Isn't it just and it's, uh, show? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. I love it. We did it in high school. So oh. uh, you can imagine how good it was then. I saw it recently. I hadn't seen it in a million years and I made my children watch it because they say they don't like musicals. But whenever I show them something really good, they're like, oh, yeah, all right, this is good. All right. OK. So I made them watch that and they loved it. Yeah. It's so good. It's very much a um like people who don't watch musicals I've found have seen it over time because it's yeah it's sort of like it's like Greece in a lot of ways but more of an underground but not as underground as Rocky Horror which isn't really underground anymore it's legendary now so they all are but um anyways uh, we'll move on to the metal album because I picked the album this week and I picked a New Zealand band that we've already done called Devil Skin Let's see how we went, and I'll quickly read through my review. When I first decided to re-conjure the devil's skin, it was because of last week's unwarranted album choice, with my only choice being to take the power away from Evan. Oh, gee, that joke's timely now, isn't it? I can feel it running through my veins like electricity. It feels good. But will this debut effort, We Rise, feel good or leave me deflated? Well, with a forthcoming title, we are off to a good start. So pressing play on Devil's Skins, or Skin for short, opening number, the drums immediately swept me in. And once Jenny Scalander's biting vocals kicked, kicked, kicked in, my weary eyes yet again opened up. Damn. Lyrically, it's dark, poetic, but relatable, sweet, and fits perfectly within the yearning qualities of Lady Scalander's tone. But I have no idea what this has to do with Elvis Presley. I, I don't say I never know when a song has progressed to the next track, owing in part to my settings, but the dark through line in the second track creates the perfect blend from our Kiwi neighbours. I don't know what Chainsaw was meant to be, but they could have lopped it out. But then the bop of Vessel starts, taking us on a three-minute roller coaster that twists and turns with its sadly relatable lyrics, which yet again have me asking, why the hell isn't this band bigger? Here we have a bop, a dark tale, rah-rah-rahs, and branding at play, and a song that doesn't feel repetitive, unlike these reviews. So I take this poison and raise it up, because this song and album speak to me. Why didn't this start, start a revolution? This should be track one, because, you know, it's called Start, but this 2002 Spider-Man credits track is clearly the radio favourite and reminds me of that goddess Kelly Clarkson. As the Skins' next track progresses, the darkness and yearning continues, sweeping me up and beating me around until I bleed, not from the ears, unlike last week, from a broken heart as Lady Scalander cements her spot as a truly poetic, multifaceted artist. One might say, I'm a devil, but I'm all four Skins. Oh, wait, that came out wrong. Six stars. I love this album, this singer jenny her lyrics she's dark she's brooding she's there's a yearning there she's she does the rah, 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 rah. that's her mind blown so yeah i i that's why i picked them again because i thought these were lyrically quite a strong album there's there's some very dark lyrics in there but they're just so poetic in, in the way she delivers them, I, I think, anyways. But I liked it. As you know, I'm not a rockhead in general, but uh, I thought that the music, the, it was very melodious. I mean, really good tunes. And the vocals were really strong. And the it's, it, you know, it's very much a hard rock album, acid rock, I suppose. But it was like big 80s power ballad kind of things. They were It was good. I, I thought it was really 
you chose well for me because it was so melodic. Well, I, I was actually was thinking of you here because obviously being a lyricist and I thought there's there's such potent lyrics in, in the first album that we had listened to, which is their latest one. Absolutely. Yeah, like t- speaking about um, take this broken glass and warm up my insides, it's just so dark, but you hear that and you're like, that's such a poetic way to talk about it, like the comfort that she's getting from those thoughts. And so again, very, very dark. It's a song about suicide, but it's a bop. <laughs> It's strange. Yeah, I agree with you. Lyrically, it's really interesting for for metal because most of it is most metal that I hear. I have friends who are like metalheads, which is weird because they're jazz majors, and so it's weird that the music they listen to is like unlike anything that they play. But mostly, it's like screaming in the stuff that I'm shown by then, and this is really thoughtful uh, lyrics. Yeah, considering she goes from this soaring yearning with these poetic lyrics and then she'll just go it's phenomenal how hasn't her throat just left her body and just gone away to Bora Bora or somewhere it reminds me if you've listened to the Beetlejuice cast recording yes how his voice like I was just watching a video about it how he has like an extra ventricle fold or something that means that he can do the voice safely but like it it makes me think of like if he didn't that voice eight times a week is very similar to like a metal voice where you just have to have that gruff like eh, eh. yeah it sits in a spot that's how it was described to us by a musician can you see this band doing a musical or something a film or like you know tommy or whatnot well, i'm not sure if they're you know they do tell stories but basically they'd have to decide what how to how to be to, to, to dramatically link their songs together and I, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, I, I reckon they could because the through line in their music is there. I, I thought maybe the second half of the album sort of got a bit more mid-tempo and a bit slower. Um, they mm-hmm. could have mixed it up a little bit, but I don't know how they're not more widely known. I really don't because I think they're super talented. Are they still working? Yeah, they've just released an album, I think 2020, called Red. And there was a song on that called Endo. And when I first heard that, I cried because it was just so powerful, so emotional in in the song and her voice, her lyrics. And like this was only a few episodes in, maybe 10 episodes in or something. So I was only new to to metal at that point. But yeah, I fell in love right away. And she's out of where? Where is this band out of? New Zealand. It is New Zealand. There is a bit of a Kelly Clarkson. Isn't there? Like if Kelly Clarkson sang metal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do you hear it? It's it, There's something there that's similar. Yeah, I do. Um, Especially in... Surrender. Surrender, yeah. Yeah. And and Fade. Yeah, those two in particular, yeah. Right. Well, uh, last time you were on the show, we did a Christmas album, which was quite thrash, and you sort of kind of enjoyed that. Uh, how did you go this time overall? with this one so the first song elvis presley circle pit i was like oh my god i'm not gonna like this at all because it was so aggressive and you know i'm not a big metal person as you know but i appreciate the art form like any art form i don't really like country music either but i can listen to it go okay well that guy can clearly sing his face off and it's a great melody and even though it's about a guy getting drunk in his pickup truck because his lady left him. You know, I, I can still appreciate it. Anyway, so Circle Pit. I couldn't understand the lyrics. Yeah. And it was so aggressive and the sound was so distorted. I kind of thought, oh, I'm not going to like this. 
And then I listened to Little Pills, which I liked a little bit more. I thought there was more of a story there and there was more, definitely more uh, melody, more, uh, more of a melodic thing to it. And I was like, okay, this is, this is interesting, but I got to tell you, by the time I got to surrender, yep. I think she's amazing. I think surrender is like, I was thinking, oh, this is kind of like um, Kelly Clarkson meet, meets Nirvana, which kind of is, but on surrender, she was like one of my idols. She was Melissa Etheridge. I just thought she was amazing, amazing. And the song is amazing. And, you know, you had said something about like, do you think this could ever be made into a musical kind of thing? And I'm like, I'd have to read the lyrics to give a, you know. Well, then write one from scratch, like. Right. I'd love to, I'd love to read them. Yeah. They're beautiful. It's a story about a woman, you know, struggling with her demons her devil skin, struggling with her demons and struggling with whether she wants to be here or not. And surrender was freaking heartbreaking because I felt like, oh God, she's gonna, she's gonna go to the heavy side layer. She's gonna do it. She's <laughs> gonna kill herself. Anyway, I loved surrender. It's now on my phone. Oh wow. That's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. The horror, I think you need to play it on your Halloween show, whenever you do your Halloween show, because it's so great. So the horror. I freaking loved. I'm going to play it on Halloween on a loop as children come because I'm actually in a neighborhood where kids come and get candy and stuff. Yep. Awesome. And I just, I was a little angry that it was so short. You <laughs> sent me that thing and I thought, oh, well, maybe it's short on Spotify. So then I went to my Apple Music and it's like, no, it's like a minute long. It needs to be longer. It's so cool. But you could see like after listening to Surrender and talking about it in terms of a musical, I thought, Oh my God, this is the scene where she's maybe going to do it. This is like this. And it is only a minute long and it's terrifying. Yeah. Anyway, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Covet is great. Violation's great. Oh, good. It's great. And, and I'm so glad if I had just heard the first song, I never would have, and not knowing, you know, of course that you have great taste. I, <laughs> I maybe wouldn't have listened to the rest of it. I would have gone, oh, no, blah, blah. not my style. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's so good. It is, isn't it? That's why I gave it six stars because I was just I was blown away. And that Vessel song, I'm, as I say, it's just so dark. It's, it's clearly about suicide, but it's yeah. just, you can't help but bop. And it doesn't just stay on one level. It goes through different emotions no, through it. It's great. And it's a masterpiece. It really is. And the producing of it is really interesting and very creative yeah. and layered. It's just beautiful. I mean, I guess that's why it's, what do they, what do they call it? Indie metal or something? alternative metal alternative metal yeah because it does have you know definitely i don't, I don't want to diss on metal but it is it, it's it's more layered it's more layered yep. than just straight ahead metal i just thought it was great all right so spencer as our guest co-host for today how did you go with this metal album did you enjoy it i i did i'm not i'm not a huge metal head um but but i really the it wasn't as dark tonally as a lot of the metal albums that I've heard it was a lot uh, more pop inspired and you could hear every instrument you know a lot of the times with metal it just sounds like and this this didn't I, I think that that it it sounded much more melodic to me which was really cool still trying to figure out what the first song has to do with Elvis yeah me too <laughs> Google the lyrics to see if they would give me any any context and nope nope did not 
No, you mentioned that it wasn't as tonally dark, but still those lyrics are. Yes, lyrically it was very dark, but tonally, like the sounds of the instruments, I think wasn't as dark. It it made it a lot more enjoyable to listen to for me. Um, I really liked the song "Start a Revolution." I I liked that song a lot, and I liked um, the first one, Elvis Presley's "Circle Pit." I think those were my two favorites. Very perplexed by the song "Chainsaw." which is an eight-second song that yep. is just a chainsaw sound effect. Yeah, I actually have my Spotify settings overlapping eight seconds so that songs always seep into each other. So by the time Chainsaw started, the next songs started <laughs> because it just sort of goes... So that this is, this is the one track and then it's the other track. In the middle is Chainsaw. So that, that's how much yeah. overlap there is. Not much so. That's a really bad analogy to use my hands there because people at home would not have seen what I just did. And I liked, I liked Covet a lot as well. Yeah. It was very different. You say it's different, but notice they all blend. The, the song's still... Yes. It's an album. This is what we want. We want an album that flows. At the end of the day, I think, anyways. But yeah, so would you go see them in a gig, Spencer? They come to New York City, are you going with your friends? So honestly, I would be pretty terrified just because I am friends with a couple <laughs> metalheads and they go hard at these concerts. Like, I would be terrified to step foot into that room. But I liked the band and I would certainly listen to more of their music. Yeah, I tell you, I've been in slam pits, Spencer, and I am tiny so if i could survive as a 16 year old i have two teenage sons and one of them only listens to rap and it's really hard to get him to listen to other things mm -hmm. the other one will listen to everything we have a game at dinner where we play music we force each other to listen to music yep. that we like oh awesome and it's really fun because you know i'm forced to listen to juice world and all kinds of stuff that i normally wouldn't listen to and i force them to listen to stuff so i'm playing some of this tonight yeah oh awesome yeah. please let me know how that goes i because... will i totally will because i really think i know henry's gonna dig it and it'll be something that he puts on his phone and then he shows to all his friends at school and they think he's cool as shit and gene will be like yeah, Gene's twelve. Yeah, I really I appreciate it. I I I like the vocals. He'll be he'll you'll want to have him on your on your show someday. He's yeah. a real music dude. Anyway, I loved it. Thank yeah. you for introducing me to it. No, thank. You. I, I'm glad all you guys have embraced it like you have because, as I say, I, I picked it specifically with David in mind, thinking lyrically. Yeah. And so it was then a, a matter of listening to myself, and I realized, wow, this is an actual really good album. The gras gras are sparingly used; they're not overused, but they they pack a punch when they are used. They really do. It it doesn't overpower. Yeah. Because they've just got such good lyrics. And melodies. Yeah, I mean, lyrically, they were really, really good. Like, um, Until You Bleed, Broken Bones Feel Differently. Oh. And it's like, yeah. And so do Broken Reputations, as we keep finding out. So, right. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my God. Every day there's a new story, right? A new take on all the drama. I liked the Christmas metal album. It was yep. fun and it was, like, kitschy to me to listen to, you know, Christmas songs yep. in that manner. But this is actually something I would I would put on my phone and certainly like when I'm driving around L.A., you know, and you just some great music to kind of keep you awake. And I have to that's I have to go over the hill right now. I've yep. got my hair and I'm going to I'm going to put her on. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. We're She's great. Spreading a Kiwi band, tiny little country with 20 million people or something or 10 million people. I think they got. 
Oh, she's got a lot of albums too. This was their debut. And I think they've come out of the park swinging, in my opinion. Like we listen to a lot of debuts on this show. A lot of people have taken a few to get into their groove. And that's just the nature of it. She's really gorgeous. Did you see a picture of her? Have you pulled up a picture? She's really striking too. She is, isn't she? Hell yeah. Uh, So if we were to give it a score to this album... On a 10 scale? We'll go out of five. I give it four and a half stars. I think it's good. Really good. Yeah. I I, I was blown away. I, I gave it a six. <laughs> six out of five. I just, yeah. I I, don't, I have a thing for divas and, you know, my lady singers and my pop divas. And, you know, it's just, that's the gay boy way, isn't it? So to hear her kicking ass, really, all through it. Yeah. Anyways, um, apparently it's alternative metal. When I read that, I wrote down what on earth is alternative metal because I thought metal was alternative, but apparently it's sort of a jambalaya of yeah. It's, it sounds a little a little like uh, that mosh pit. Um, I don't know, a little Nirvana meets metal. Wouldn't that be? That's good. That's a good combination. It's definitely poppier than like most metal. Yeah, that's why I liked it. Yeah, the sound is crisper. I think. Yeah. More melodic. Oh, it's more mo- melodic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and not repetitive, but still with a three line. The harmonies were very good as well. They were. And again, I, I'm still blown away that that's her going rah, 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 rah. How does she do that? How do you do that? I think she's sold her soul to the devil. I, that, that's <laughs> the only possible choice. I have no idea. Talent. Or maybe it's just a distortion on her voice. Don't you think? Because it doesn't sound like doesn't sound like chords coming together. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, like... does it? Anyways, looks like I sold my soul to the devil's skin. We'll be back after this ad break. Hey there! It's time to get popped on culture, the official Puzzle Hub pop quiz podcast, and welcome to game number five. I'm your new host, Matt Young, and for today's special theme, we're going to test your knowledge on musical groups, including bands, boy bands, girl groups, and vocal ensembles. Play against your friends, or the clock, and see how you go. Alright, let's get into it, shall we? Game 1. Songs in the Key of Words. I'm going to give you three key words that appear within eight different songs. Pretty simple. If you guess the song correctly on the first keyword, give yourself three points. If you guess it on the second, give yourself two points, which of course means give yourself one for guessing it on the third and final keyword. So let's see how you go. Ready? First clue. Fantasy. Landslide. Reality. That was Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Second clue. Lights. Carrie. Home. Of course, that's all the small things by Blink-182. Next up, Valentino, Crystal, Italian. That's right, it was Manic Monday by The Bangles. I was kissing Valentino by a crystal blue Italian stream. Alrighty, fourth, picked, bunch, glance. I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. 
How are you going so far? Next up, Lady Glitters Buying. A Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Lonely, gazing, window. That one was a little bit hard for me, but that was Waterfalls by TLC. Here's our seventh clue. Walked, smile, cool. Of course, that was Stop by Spice Girls. And lastly, Honey, Bees, Envy. My Girl by The Temptations. And time's up. How did you go in that round? And be sure to check out our other shows on the Bloop Network, especially Thrash and Treasure, where you'll hear incredible interviews with genuine icons of stage and screen. So until the next game, I've been Matt, you've been Popped on Culture, and I shall see you next time. See ya! David was actually the first person I messaged. And I said, I finally got a puppy. They finally listened to the shopping list. Oh, God, she's gorgeous. She is. She's biting me. Hang on. I'll give her a picky. Do you want a picky? Hi, honey. God, her little, I just saw her ears. Look at the ears. Oh, she's beautiful. Dalmatian ears. And one's floppy and the other one will stand up straight. But this one will just hang down. Oh, my God. She's so cute. Good girl. Good girl. She's been. She thinks my arm is a um like a paper roll holder because it looks like one. Oh yeah. So she just. Bites I see it. the similarity. Yeah, it's good. And mum has gotten so frustrated with her that yesterday, crying, she goes to me. She's now yours. She's now your dog. I can't put up with her anymore. Who knows what's to come in the future? Uh, but anyways, you're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Spencer, and we're joined by everybody's favorite crime-fighting duo, Sipple and Barzi. Because it's David Zippel and Anastasia Barzi. That was good. Awesome. There is another one coming up. But anyways, we're going to speak about happy. Oh, no. The pets are happy. I love pets. I am so fulfilled by them. But we are going to move on to the musical because we're going to do City of Angels, which obviously was David's Broadway debut, a Tony Award winning debut. And Anastasia, you did on tour and Los Angeles, I believe. Yep. Wikipedia was right for a change. <sighs> <laughs> I know. Fancy that. Ask her about her costume. Oh, okay. Oh, my sheet. Exactly. <laughs> oh, were you the naked body on the bed? Yes, my audition. Do you, you don't remember. My audition in Los Angeles when I was up on stage. I don't know if that theater even exists anymore on Sunset Boulevard. It was like a screening. I had to sing the song and you all were out there in the audience and Michael Blakemore said, now, you know, when this song takes place, you're wearing nothing but a sheet. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, so do you think you'll be comfortable doing that? And I said, well, if I drop it, do I get an encore? And he laughed. <laughs> oh, a woman after my own heart. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes, I remember that day. I, I, auditioned, I went to the open call and they had me come back in a bathing suit. You were like 12 years old. I was 12. No, I was 22. 23, I think, 23 years old, just out of college, maybe 24. Wow. I can't remember, 23 or 24. Yep, yep, crazy. Now you're 32, 33? I am, I am, and I never dropped the sheet. 
Never did. Never dropped it. Never got my encore. That's what Gypsy Rose Lee taught us to be a lady about our stripping. Um, because no, I haven't seen it. So I've never oh. known the ending. Everyone dies. Oh no. Oh no. It's the Avengers of Musicals. Oh no, I've just spoiled that for everyone, haven't I? It's one show that you can listen to the album yeah. and not have a clue what the show is about. Yes. Because the and the songs are so integrated, but the book is so, um, it's more complicated to explain than to sit through. It's very clear if you watch it, but yeah. it, it's very complicated to explain. It's very visual. Yep. Well, I did yeah. have um, on the synopsis before and I clicked read out loud. So the computer read it to me. So I was able to connect the dots that I have never been able to connect over the years from not having seen it. But some of these songs are now standards. You can always count on me very much. So you go to anyone's cabaret show, you're going to hear it there. You know, it's it's certainly, I wouldn't say done to death because I have the lyricist here and that would be incredibly rude of me. <laughs> it's done a lot, rightfully so. Right? It's fine with me. Um, it is, no, it's, it's very much worth it. And I also knew... Um, all you have to do is wait. Um, I've known that for a long time. I But I couldn't pinpoint where I've known it from outside the show, but I do. That's the thing. Was it a cabaret that I saw? Was it something that I was in? Think of someone using that in their act. <laughs> That's very odd. That seems odd. Yeah, because I know um, You Can Always Count On Me was done in our acting class review. So I didn't do it myself. One of the girls did it. So, yeah, so that one, uh, those two songs I've always known over the years and then sort of obviously from the, the soundtrack, oh, soundtrack the, the album itself. Now, Spencer has seen it. Yeah, so I saw it? it when I was 16 at the Marriott Theatre in Lincolnshire, Illinois, in the suburb of Chicago, which is in the round. With Kevin Early playing the you know Kevin? I know Kevin. And it, yeah. it was right when I was get like really getting into theater, and oh. it was the first show I saw with with people playing multiple characters. And I remember at the time loving that. And then now, even yesterday, I saw a show where there's people playing multiple characters and loving that concept. And this show is what introduced that to me. Did Did you say thirteen thirty two? But the, the show I'm talking about is uh, Leopoldstadt. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to see that. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. I don't live in New York. I am literally the odd one out here, which is not unusual for me to be the odd one. Um, so this was while you were coming up in theatre, Spencer. Did it have any sort of in, uh, impact on your decision to get into Yeah, theater? I mean, it made me want to see more is really what it was. The show musically for me was so like i remember the first time i saw well the only time i've seen it just like being blown away by the lyrics like i and that that's a credit to david that just like how lyrically beautiful that show is as yeah. david said i listened to the album beforehand and had no clue what was going on um but then when you sit down and see the show it's so clear which is rare sometimes it can be the other way around yeah would you like me to do an attempt to do a um, 90 second synopsis of the whole thing? Yes. I want to hear it. it. <laughs> it's a story about a writer named Stein who has written a series of detective stories about a novel named Stone. And 
he goes to Hollywood to adapt the first of these novels into a movie. And he's working for a producer director named Buddy Fiddler, who's kind of a tough guy and, uh, but a charmer. And you see Stein writing his screenplay in living color in Hollywood. And as he writes the screenplay, you see it come to life in black and white. And during the show, sometimes you meet people in, in the screenplay who two scenes later pop up as the people that inspired that character in real life. And sometimes you meet people in real life and they pop up in the screenplay, but they're double cast. So everyone was double cast except for the writer and the detective. And there's a point in the middle of the show, uh, You're Nothing Without Me, when the worlds of fiction and reality cross that Stone, the detective, reaches out to the writer, Stein, and complains about the way he's being written. And then it gets more complicated from there. How, how did I do, Anastasia? <laughs> I thought that was a great 90-second pitch. I thought yeah. that was really, really good. That was great. No, it made I'm... me want to write it. Right? Oh, God. It really was so imaginative. Yeah. Um, and intellectual was i think the the review i read that um in london that it was a little too intellectual for today's dumbed down audience i will brag on our show when it played in london the first time one of the critics said it was the witty arguably the wittiest musical ever written which was kind of nice yeah and said it was the yardstick by which musicals of the 20th century will be measured so <sighs> Nice. I'd, I'd love to get reviews like that again for something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why do you think it hasn't been revived on Broadway? A bunch of reasons. Because it's too intellectual for today's dumbed-down audience. It's sort of a popcorn musical. You do have to pay attention or you'll get lost. Yeah. But we put a lot of clues in so that the audience can find their way back if, in fact, they do get lost. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it, it, I think it's been a series of almost and that's sort of what happened because i can't believe it hasn't been made into a movie it would be such a good film oh god it would be so we great working on it larry died and then the whole thing kind of fell apart yeah and uh, but over the years people have sort of approached us we meet everybody's excited about it and then nothing happens so i don't know i still have hope yeah i know darko tresnik uh did a production of it he did a great job it was very good and I worked with him right after him, and I just love him. I just think he's so great. And we talked about it, and he said he loved it. He loved working on it. He wanted to do another production. He felt like he'd learned so much from the one that he did. And It was a good one. And we did a, a concert version at Reprise, which was sort of the encores of L.A. I yeah. saw it. And it was really good. Really good. I saw Monica Mancini and I went. Yeah. Right. Yes, oh, that's we good. went. Yeah. That, I thought that was great. Uh, um, I was just so Aaron, Henry Mancini. Dun, 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 dun. His daughter was one of the Angel City Four in the L.A. production. And, she, and she's a fantastic yeah. and a doll. Yeah. She's one of the ones. We're still friends all these years later. And Lauren Mitchell. Oh. There's a few few of those gals that, I, you know, I still. It was um... a pretty dreamy cat in L.A. Oh. Was that the one with Vicky Lewis? 
in LA. Yeah. That was, she was great too. That was the, that was the concert version we're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. See, I do do my homework. Yes, you do. I'm not a complete moron. I was just going to say, you mentioned Buddy, and I thought of Charles Levin, who passed away kind of recently. I didn't know. Yes. Yeah, it's actually quite sad. I remember I was reading about this recently. He had, um, I think he was moving house, and he was sort of in the middle of nowhere, um, and I think he got lost, and his car got jammed somewhere or got stuck somewhere. So he got out of the car. Um, and he left the dog in the car and I think he only got, I don't know, maybe 20 meters away or something, um, 50 meters away at most and fell and they found his body, uh, and they found the dog in the car, which is just awful. It's just, yeah, it's really sad and and, an absolute tragic end because, you know, he was known to a lot of people. For Seinfeld, he played the Moyle in the Briss episode. So, yeah, I, I, just a real tragic ending. Very sad, but oh, yeah, Charles Levin, who was who was Buddy and was wonderful. He did it on Broadway too, I think, didn't he? For a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did the the first national tour, and he just was incredible, incredible guy, incredible actor. Ran for quite a long time on Broadway for today's standards. Um, yeah, and I was actually just about to jump in and say that exact same thing. I mean, it did win the best Tony, uh, best Tony. It won the best Tony Award. It won the best musical Tony Award, obviously, and that that helps shows, you know, last a lot of the times beyond the award season. But you look at some of the shows today that won, and they're just not lasting. Well, you look at you look at Strange Loop, which is closing after six months. What yeah. already? Yeah, closing in January on the Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah. Back on the musical, this would make a terrific film, not just because it's about film, yeah. and we know Hollywood loves films about itself. They usually win the awards, but it's meta as well in terms of the interaction, and that's really big at the moment. In in um, and there are so many big stars who sing. Yeah. Right? I mean, can you see Justin Timberlake playing Stone or Stein or like either one? Yeah, either one. I mean, oh, it'd be so good. It's a buddy movie. Yeah, absolutely. They'll make the prom six months after it closes on Broadway, but I know. Yeah. We'll get back to Broadway. We we were on our way back to London when COVID happened. We had done right with Vanessa Williams, who was fantastic playing. And we had Wait, done, who is she playing? She was playing Alora. Alora Kingsley. Oh, wow. Very funny. In fact, there's a oh. line in the show that's kind of amazing. Uh, at For her, uh, at, at the end of her first scene, when uh, second scene, when she's at her house and, and the detective is uh, flirting with her and she implies that he could have her as part of the deal. She says, I'm saving the best for last, which of course, oh, her, her so- I'll save the best for last. And the, even in England, the audiences went nuts for that. It was oh, it was- how great! I saw. Did you see her in POTUS? She's unbelievable. Yeah. Oh yes. gosh, she's so great. So, will that will that get to have a life in London? Do you think? I don't know. It had, it, we had done it at the Donmar five years oh, before, yeah. and we won the Olivier for Best Revival, and that was supposed to come right in. But our lead left the show the day it closed, and at the uh, Donmar to go to do um, a wonderful actor named Tam Mutu to star in Dr. Zhivago on Broadway. So we had oh. 
producer and the money in the theater, but no star. And we couldn't find, we'd have to, we thought, everyone thought we'd have to replace him with a, a name and we couldn't find anyone who was available. And then we lost the theater and then oh. available that it took five years to put it back together. And we got through, the previews were fantastic. And the cast was slightly different cast, but really good. And we, everyone said, this is going to be a hit. Yay. And then they shut the whole West End down two or three days after they shut Broadway down. Oh, yeah, I'm remembering all this as you say it. Oh, mm. God. God, this industry is brutal. Well, the pandemic is brutal. <laughs> and, and the pandemic has been brutal. Uh, anyways, it looks like we're now leaving the City of Angels because we're off to an ad break. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance, hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, 
behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom or what may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Alrighty, you listen to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Spencer. Oh, Struth Elsa, I popped down the pokies for a punt and bumped into Stasi and Davo. It's Anastasia Barzi and David Zippel. Firstly, Anastasia, you've just done Mr. Holland's opus, or correctly titled Mr. Nederlands's opus. So any word on a Broadway transfer? I don't, I'm not really in the loop. I mean, I yeah. think that's always the hope. It was a very successful production for... The, we start. We did it at the Ogonquit Playhouse, which has become kind of a, you know, it's really just a summer stock theater, but it's become much more than that. They have a very big developmental budget, mm-hmm. and they they're doing a new show every year. And this one, you know, they uh, scheduled it to do, and then COVID hit, so it's been rescheduled twice. And we finally did it, and it was very good for them. And I think the creative team, B.D. Wong and Wayne Barker, were very happy and learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I think they're, they did a recording of it. They did, I know they recorded three different shows and they're doing a big mix of it. And they're hoping that they'll generate some interest, you know, to do another production somewhere. But, uh, you know, first, first production of a brand new musical. So, you know, you never know. It could, could take five years, 10 years, <laughs> you know, could take two years, you never know. But I think it's, I think it's in good shape and they, they're very happy and they learned a lot. So I think it, satisfied everything they were trying to do yeah awesome yeah another new show is obviously bad cinderella yeah yes so are you going to allow anastasia to audition david (laughs) i think it's (laughs) such a cheeky bastard sometimes i'm sorry (laughs) did you did anyone see i i they i wasn't down for the first set of auditions and we were like half the cast was cast about a year and a half ago because we thought we were coming in sooner and then i did come in for the second set um i didn't know yeah. if they had seen you and i if they, and they should have certainly seen you. sorry that's that's me being cheeky <laughs> no well thank you no i no i heard nothing nothing but you know what it's it's strange like i if was it bernie telsey no it was um it was uh tara rubin tara rubin yeah you know, it's weird. Like you, you're on a few people's lists, you know, and then, and then they right. pass away, and then, right. you know, and then you're not on, you're not on someone else's list, and then they don't even, they don't even, it doesn't even occur. It's very interesting. So, I feel like most of the, 
the stuff I'm doing now has been more television and film and the musicals that I do are usually because a director Remembers knows me and asks like Darko wanted to see me do come in for Kiss Me Kate. So I did Darko's Kiss Me Kate at Hartford Stage and at the Old Globe uh, or Walter Bobby's doing something and he's like, oh, I want to see Annie or, you know, whoever it is. It seems to be that kind of way when it's casting directors. I don't know. It's 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 unfortunate, but like my the Johnson Lips, the Jay Bender, the people who used to, you know, always bring me in and that I worked with repeatedly, they're no longer casting. So I don't know mm -hmm. how you get your name back on a list at Bernie Telsey's or Tara Rubin, but that would, if anyone knows the answer, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I can't even get just... this show on PR firms. Is just... <laughs> and look at the guest list that we have had on and yet they will still oh, respond to us saying, this is not right for our our person it's like how do you know did you even ask like goodness gracious me yeah. so i know it's cookie like, yeah it's industry. the nature of the business and the world and you know yes it is a hideous bitch goddess as uh i think bart simpson called that on show business is a hideous, <laughs> bitch, hideous goddess. bitch best now a fun question goddess. who would you cast as each other for a biopic of your lives so who would I cast as David Zippel? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Dietrich Bader. Wow. From, um, he was in Drew Carey show. Yeah. But he's most recently was in Better Things. Michelle Pfeiffer as, as Anastasia. He's too old to play you. Oh, God bless you. Did you watch The First Lady? Yeah. She could play your mother. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Oh, thank Me you. But I, oh, my God. I love her. Okay. I have to think of someone else for you since you don't know Dietrich Bader. We need someone more famous. Apologies to Dietrich Bader if you're listening to this. <laughs> I love you, Dietrich Bader. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, he was in the Beverly Hillbillies movie. He was Jethro in that. He's just tall and wonderful and very loving. He has your same similar energy. That's what I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of. Right? Don't you think? Sounds nice. Yeah. He's like your favorite uncle, your favorite, you know, the guy who's going to be there with four in the morning when you call and your your car broke down you call ghostbusters ghostbusters all right i'll try to think of someone else next question, next question. So, <laughs> so it has to be someone with a, with a very calming presence on screen i yeah. think now um again for both of you as halloween approaches what has been the most embarrassing costume and, and spencer this one's for you as well most embarrassing costume you have worn so far in your lives so when you look back on going, what was I thinking? First show ever, I was an Oompa Loompa. And let me tell you that orange face paint and green wig. Yep. I was not a fan of, not a fan. of that costume. And I don't know how, how Elphaba does it every day. No, I don't either. Um, but at least you weren't wrapped up in toilet paper because that was me going to school as a mummy for Halloween. Wrapped up oh. in literal toilet paper, which we thought was the cleverest, smartest thing. How did you look by third period? Black eyes, crying in the principal's oh. office. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, they weren't letting me get away oh, with God. that one. No way in hell was I going to be able to survive the to the end of the day on that day. So, yes, you guys? I don't know if it was the most embarrassing, but I'll, I'll say that it was the most maybe controversial Pre-COVID, it was, I guess it was during the election, the Trump-Hillary election. Yeah. And I 
I went as um, a character I created called Jules and I had a little black wig, leather dress with lots of beads. And I was an anti-vaxxer who really liked what Jill Stein was talking about. <laughs> now, so that, that's a good scary costume for today. Definitely. She was really terrifying. And uh, yeah, I really liked what Jill Stein had to say. And I kind of stayed in character for the whole night and people just were, they either got it and thought it was funny or they just looked at me like I was insane. And so that was, that was a good kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Yep. Again, at least it wasn't toilet paper. <laughs> no. I think I blacked out all of my costume experiences. I'm not a big Halloween or a costume guy. Yeah. So I, I cannot answer this question honestly because I can't recall where, where the last time I wore a costume. So I went to a 60s party. That was in Halloween. And I, I wore a hippie's wig and a tie-dye vest, and I looked pretty ridiculous. And maybe a headband. Oh, yeah, I, oh I'd like to see that. Yes, me too. We're going to need photographic evidence. There's time. Hair, long, beautiful hair. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, we'll move on. Now, Brought this up at the start. Recently, an article went out that's caused a bit of a stir regarding 1776. It has caused a divide online. How important has diplomacy been over time compared to today's more vocal days, sort of in your careers? Let's just say tact, tact. has always been a very valuable thing, a tool for everyone involved. Yes, I completely yeah, agree. I, I agree. And I think that there's a like an unspoken kind of sense of, not to overuse the word, but community that maybe has started to leave the room. And I just, I feel like everybody's there working hard. Everyone's there because they want to do this. Unless everyone is there with a good attitude and with a collaborative nature and with a respect for the creative team, then I think things can go awry. And, and we've all seen it. I mean, this is not the first time there's been a, a problem in a, you know, in a situation in the room. There's always people who talk and people who have issues and things like that. But there's, it's different now because it's social media. And we don't just go in the bathroom and go, oh, my God, I can't believe he's making me do that thing. I feel so silly. Now it's, we're saying it online. And then it's having repercussions that are that I think are, are harmful, harmful to the people in the room who are trying to create something. And I think it could be harmful to the show. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe ticket sales will zoom, you know, through the roof because people are so interested. I don't know. But for my money, I feel like, you know, like City of Angels, for instance, that was a room full of people who all respected each other. There was never a feeling of like, like well, I didn't trust David or I didn't trust Cy Coleman or I didn't trust that Michael Blakemore was going to take care of me. There was a, an understanding that we were all there to work and that we were all going to take care of each other. And the cast did that too. And it was, that's for me, that's why that's one of the beautiful things about theater. And it's sad to think maybe that's not so much. I don't know. My opinion as the old lady in the room. I think you're, I feel the way you do. And it requires a lot of trust and City of Angels is a really good example. When we were putting it together, um, the pieces were there, but it took a, quite a while the first time to get it right. And we had to, uh, the, the set was so large and had so many set changes that 
um, half of it was in, in the alley for the first week. And they would have to, during the intermission, swap the first act and put it back in the alley and take the second act till they figured out how to seamlessly make all the parts flow. And there were, because of that, there were scenes that we had to change so that it would go from one uh, moment to the next seamlessly and just little tweaks. But it, it people couldn't quite see where we were going. And you have to trust the team, trust one another, and singularly give 100% to make it work. And I think um, part of theater is it is a bit hierarchical. It's the authors and the director, and you have to trust that their vision is going to work. And as an actor, you know, you don't have a lot of other options, but if everyone doesn't commit, uh, it's, it's, it's miraculous when something comes together anyway. So it makes it really hard. And then of course, after it opens, um, I mean, that's the the challenge of being an actor. You have to do it eight times a week. And that's why Mm -hmm. I, I suppose if I were an actor, I wouldn't read reviews because you still have to do it. Um, absolutely it's um but you still have to commit regardless and yeah. um it's it's a challenge it's a it's a tough business yeah and yeah and as um anastasia said there is that ripple effect and then it gets into the fans and then they start having their say and then the pylons come on and people picking sides and stuff and my comment on it was I got 20 seconds into finding out this drama and I realized I really do not give a shit. I really don't care. Goodness gracious yeah. me. If, if oh, look, I sit here introducing you guys and do I not put in 200 freaking percent? You do. No one's paying me for that. That's the thing. And to say that she shouldn't be grateful to have a job. Yes, she should be because I've been unemployed for longer than five years. It fucking sucks part of my language it sucks and for for anybody to say that they shouldn't be grateful yeah you should doesn't matter what job you are doing because look at the times we're in right now mate a lot of people out there are struggling there's a little bit of a perception i think that you know producers are bad people in charge are bad and that cast is good and i i don't know when i was doing you know, Broadway shows and, and was m- much more a part of that world. Yeah. I never felt that way. I felt like producers are good. They're the reason why I have a job. You know, creative teams are good. They hired me and gave me a place to come and play and to, to be creative and to express myself. There wasn't this kind of strange separation that seems to exist now. I think there's also and I'm gonna say this word, there's an ignorance about how things work and how shows get made and how hard it is to get something to happen, how much money it costs, how many people, yeah, some of the producers are making money, but a lot of that money came from people who gave $50,000 that makes a huge difference in their life, who are doing it because they really fucking love theater and they wanna be a part of it. And so, that's the part that for me is a little heartbreaking is this kind of ignorance about how things work and this idea that, oh, the man is making the money and the man is doing this and the man is, is keeping us down. And I just don't think that that is the case. I think theater is not a place where people go to become millionaires. <laughs> you know, they just don't, they're in finance. The, theater is somewhere where people go to work, to create because they truly love it. And because it's part of, it's in their soul. You know, so it makes me sad when I read things like that, because I do have a perception of how hard 
those directors have worked, not just to create this piece, but to make it fucking happen, to create a show at ART that's going to go to Broadway, that's going to tour for for a year. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of work. So I think we have a right to fail, too. I mean, to blow it and to to try really hard and to not get it right. I mean, obviously, no one wants to. Every we, you know, we all try to do our best, I think. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes more than more often than not, it doesn't become everything it could be. And sometimes not enough. So that's that's bravery for actors and writers and for directors. You know, you're putting out there and you give it your all and hope that, you know, that. I mean, sometimes the most amazing, that's why people talk about it as alchemy. You could put the most brilliant people together in a room with the most gifted cast and it just doesn't gel. So, you know, but you still have to try 150% really to to even get it. You do, of course. If you're holding back, then you're never going to be reaching. I think the comment that a lot of people had the issue with was the fact that she... She said that she's only giving 75%. Now, two things about that. I think there's a lot of people who only give 75%. I think the issue was her saying that she was only giving 75%. Because right. um, I, I saw the production. If that's her 75%, then I don't want to see her 100% because she kicked butt. Did she? Oh, she's lucky then. <laughs> she was a standout for me in the show. Yeah. But... I think that that was what the issue was. It wasn't that she gave 75%. Because, again, you're doing it eight times a week. That's hard. Oh, yeah. But humans are literally human. I didn't take any, I I didn't take issue with that comment. A lot of people have. Well, it seems to me that she wasn't really being clear. And she did actually, you know, qualify and say in her Twitter rant, I'm talking about, you know, the other 6% is me, she said, sleeping, 4% is pooping. And she like had a whole rundown of the other percentages. Fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing is now, now I think it's boring, but it was yeah. fascinating last night when I was going to bed, reading through all of it. But at the end of the day, if a 17 year old kid at McDonald's doesn't give us a full thing of French fries and doesn't put the right sauce on our burgers, we get on Twitter and we complain to McDonald's about it or we call up and we complain. So you got to sort of think that as a cast member and stuff like that, you, you, you do need to be mindful of what you are giving to your audience at the end of the day, whether you are serving food or whether you are on stage, because there is a paying audience there. Yeah. And people today are vocal and they're horrible. Yeah. She probably put her foot in it a little bit there, which I do know a hell of a lot about. You know, she comes from a world where she creates her own material and she self-directs and she self-produces. Those are very different shoes than walking into a rehearsal room and being an actor. Yeah, right. One person shows too, right? One person shows. She is her own community. Yeah. So it's a different world when you step onto a, into a, into a company. Yeah. Yes. Very different. It's you gotta you gotta be a part of the soup, you know. You're a, you're just an ingredient in the big pot, in my opinion, you know. But whatever uh, that is. <laughs> oh, look, these days people want to stand out for absolutely nothing. It's like if someone getting stung by poisonous bugs just become famous on. Oh, bugger off! Seriously. Uh, anyways, we will, we will move on now. David, how different 
is the song development process working with Disney uh, when you worked with Disney uh, with having Eisner's oversight was there much because I know I know the whole history of Disney myself if listeners at home you can go look it up on wiki when we did Hercules Eisner was very present and uh, we were lucky uh it's more like writing a show for theater live theater than it is writing a movie in general because um, you develop it because it takes place over such a long period of time and you create demos and then they start animating to your song so it's 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 like theater that it's there's a first pass before anything begins but Eisner was very um he, he listened to everything and gave us notes uh he was pretty hands-on he was good yeah wow cool so I tell you, i've watched a lot of documentaries david on disney and and those years and the golden years and yeah that's why i was interested to ask what sort of oversight he had we were lucky because I was the newbie on the team. Alan Menken had already done, you know, a huge Disney yeah. successes. And John, uh, Ron Clements and John Musker, our directors and the writers, had also had great success. So when when I came on, we just basically dealt with the top executives and they would come and sort of, and they tended to like everything too. So, so it made life really easy. Yeah, that was great. Good. Yes, no, we all know I love my Disney. The only complaint I have about Disney songs, David, is that they're all too short. You get this two and a half minute bop and you're sitting, you're like, wow, I'm loving this scene and it's over. And you're like, what? No, no, give me more of that. Give me more of of the muses and their their funky Motown or whatever it was, you know. Two words for you. Rewind. I do. And I literally like with the Hercules soundtrack, I've got the instrumentals on a playlist, but when I listen to the songs, I'd literally just take out those three, four, five songs that you wrote, not the pop versions. I just want the ones from the film and then I'll put those on repeat, but it's just, it doesn't. Yeah. They're just too short. So that's why I love that we're getting Hercules on stage. Even saying rewind ages me terribly. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Spencer may not have had VHS, but I certainly did uh, a lot of them. And I had Hercules and Mulan on VHS. So there you go. Yep. I had it on VHS. Yep. Me too. Absolutely love it. But yes. Okay. Now, if the 10 year old you guys popped into the room and appeared before us, what reminder would they have for both of you? Wipe your feet. Excellent. Oh God, 10-year-old me. Practice your piano. Practice the piano. Awesome. What about you, Spencer? So that was not that long ago. That was only about 10 years ago. Um, 10, 10 uh, days ago, by the looks of it. Wow. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Wow. He's an embryo. I know. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I would say to they, they would remind me to, to take it all in. You know, I've been living in New York for a little bit, for about a year. And, you know, sometimes it does, you, you forget to take that in, that like you're, you're in, you're in this city. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I couldn't tell you what I would, ah, oh, you know what? I would probably tell myself to remind myself to always put my keys or my glasses or my sunglasses <laughs> or my hat in the same bloody place because I'm also nearly good. 40. And I am still losing. I go to sleep and I take my glasses off and I wake up. Do you have, do you think I can find them? And they're literally right next to me somewhere around here, but because I can't see without them on, I can't find mm-hmm. them. But yes, oh. now anyways, um, 
Now, Anastasia, you play so many sweet characters. When are we going to see you play a murderous psychopath? Uh, I play a lot of murderous psychopaths on TV, it seems. Oh, I don't watch cop shows, though, and you're, like, literally on all the cop shows. <laughs> I'm always the one who either killed my daughter or hired someone to kill my husband or, yeah, I, those are my... Well, you know what? I um, Kiss Me Kate wasn't the sweetest character. So. I haven't seen that. So I, I yeah. Know. Mallory Kingsley wasn't the sweetest character. Mallory Kingsley wasn't. I was a bad girl mm. using my sex to, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, an idea in your brain here. It's gonna ferment and stew over the years. Yep. Misery, the one woman musical. Mm. Oh yeah, I want to do that definitely. Especially after seeing the the revival, I don't even think it was a revival. It was just made into a play, I think. Or was oh, it? I yeah, can't remember. They did too. Oh, I saw it with um, was married to Demi Moore, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Um, yeah, I just that that would be such a. I was trying to think of a, a female role that was sort of no, bit, I would love that. iconic, like truly iconic. And I'm sort of sitting here, and I'm there's like Leatherface and. No, Michael no, Myers and, and you know, her name her name is Annie too. Her name's Annie, so it's perfect. It is too. Annie. Now I'm your biggest fan. I'm your number one fan. If you watch UK Drag Race, there was a great um snatch game where someone did Kathy Bates as that character. It was oh, that's good. It's quite funny. Now, David, do reflection and go the distance ever feel like the golden children? Because literally everybody around the world knows them. I certainly have great affection for those songs and they've affected people in in surprising ways. And and I'm very proud of that. Yep. How many times have you heard them on American Idol, X Factor, The Voice? Not enough. Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) David, you know, uh, Roger Bart is a good friend of mine. From the time I was 21, we did hair together in Miami. I'll bet he liked you. (laughs) <laughs> oh well that's another that's another uh interview oh. uh no i love roger and we've been friends you know for 30 something years and yeah we've been friends hercules yeah he, he's so talented and uh i gather he's fantastic in um back to the future back to the future yep and they went through a lot they were supposed to open and it kept getting because of covid so he's he's doing well i haven't talked to him in a few months but i'll uh say hi for me Will. And he Texas. was so great in the part. You know, he played oh, Haiti. He was amazing. He apparently has a conflict and can't do paper mail, but I'd assume that it's that he's transferring to Broadway with Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, I don't know when exactly that's coming in, but yeah. Yeah, they haven't they've just it's I don't like when they do it broad. They just said like spring twenty twenty three, like be anything. Yeah. That would be a conflict then for sure. Yeah, that's it. One last question. I don't know if Spencer's got any. Now, what would your, for you, Anastasia, your drag king name be? And David, what would your drag queen name be? Mm. Rhonda mm. Santos. Rhonda Santos. <laughs> oh, of course. Ron- yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Oh, like I can't, I can't top that. Come on, <laughs> just end with that. Rhonda Santos. That's just perfect. Where can, I can't, where, where am I going to go? Write mine, David. You're the writer. Hmm. Mar, Marge. No, no, a man's Mar- name for you. A male. Uh, yeah. 
so I'm usually really good at it because yeah, I like my puns clearly. Yeah, I I actually lie down last night when I wrote this question trying to think of ones and I just I couldn't. My mind went blank, which is really odd for me. I mean, it it should be funny and it should be a little like Ron Ron DeSantis is perfect. Rufus Paul. Rufus Paul. Rufus Paul is good. RuPaul. RuPaul. Rufus Paul. But after hearing Ron DeSantis, I want I want like a Marjorie Taylor Greene type person or a Bobert. Bobert butt. Butt gun. Bobert gun in your butt. Ted Cruises. <laughs> Ted Cruises. There you go. Yeah. Marco Ruby balls. Ruby slippers. Marco Ruby slippers. I don't know. I can't compete with David Zippel. Are we? Who are we no. kidding? No, we, we won't make you have a drag queen name, Spencer, because you are a straight man. <laughs> um, yeah, Spencer, did you have any? I know that you've. Um... I'm just wondering if David can talk a little bit about that process with Bad Cinderella, with working with Andrew Lloyd Webber. This is not my first time with Andrew, and um, so we have a rapport and a friendship. And 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 years ago, he came to me. Um, about writing, he kept. I kept getting these appointments. His assistant, who I uh, loved, would call me and say, "Andrew's coming to New York. He'd like to meet with you to talk to you about a show." And he, we'd pick a date, and then about a day before, Andrew's not coming now. And this happened for, for a few years. And then uh, he asked me to do the Woman in White, which I did, and I had never done anything through composed, and that scared the hell out of me. So I thought, well, I should definitely do that because that's sort of not where I live. And it was fun to, to write write it like that. Um, Cinderella is kind of a mixture. It's it's a book musical, but it has some through composed scenes as well. And he's very passionate, uh, and he loves writing music, and he loves musical theater, and he thinks like a dramatist, which is one of the things that you want in a collaborator. I mean, Alan Menken is very much in a in a in his own unique way. Uh, also a major dramatist, and that's really uh, important in a good collaborator. In fact, I, I have to say, m- most of the people that I've chosen to work with over a period of time have been that. And we've just had a really good time with the show because it's it's fun. And Emerald Fennell, who wrote the book, I don't. Did you ever see the movie um, Promising Young Woman? Yes. Oh, she. Oh. And she's very funny and had a really interesting. Oh. So it's it's not your. That's why we changed the title. I had been encouraging Andrew not to call it Cinderella from the beginning. I didn't want people to think it was just Cinderella, and also because when you Google it, you get everybody else's Cinderella. Right. Even mine. I have mine out there too in the world. So yes. there you go. So um, I I so that's how we. And there's a song called Bad Cinderella, which is very fun. I think so. Yeah. That that's how we ended up with the title. Oh, how cool. I still think badass Cinderella is better. Basically, yeah. Badass Cinderella. Badass yeah. Cinderella. I cannot wait till it comes to Melbourne. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Here to come to Melbourne with it. I hope I get the chance. Yes. You know, contact your agent. Say, I want to do conventions in Australia. We've got Comic Con, we've got Supernova. They will pay you to come over, pay for your hotel, and then you can sit there and meet fans and sign autographs. I'll come along with my VIP pass and sit backstage and completely avoid the crowds because the crowds would be <laughs> really scary. Wouldn't be my first time, but that's that's how to get here without actually bringing a show here. That's what you do. Get the oh, conventions. Okay. And then they, they, 
fans will pay $50 an autograph or a photo. Yeah. I have friends who do the Jaws. Yeah. I have a friend who was in Jaws 1 and 2 and he still does them. Yeah. All the conventions. Yeah. I sat behind David Hasselhoff. And on the other side of David Hasselhoff was Barbara Eden. So I'm sitting there watching them two sign autographs and watching the fans just go crazy for them. And my eye was twitching. Alrighty, so I'm going to quickly go grab the puppy so we can say goodbye and we'll do all the socials and all that. Good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you, darling. I'm looking forward to seeing Bad Cinderella. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you get to see her. And oh my God, your your baby is beautiful. Isn't she? She's just, hey. L. Where's my kisses? Oh, oh. (laughs) right in the ear. Because I always kiss her up here. Mm-hmm. So just above the ears or above the eyes. Oh. She's a gorgeous look. She's got droopy eyes on her. Oh, look at that top. I know. Oh, she's so tired. She is. Uh, she's been asleep in the laundry all night. Don't you bite me, Missy. Yeah, like your belly oh, rubs. Don't she kisses you? you after. Yes. Well, thank you for getting up in the middle of the night to uh, to interview us. No, thank you guys so much for, for joining me again. It has been an honour. Anyways, a huge, huge thank you to Mr. David Zippel, Lady Anastasia Barzi, or as I like to call her, Stasi Barzi, and of course, my substitute co-host for today, Spencer, who you will hear on a lot of our ad breaks, maybe not this particular episode because we need to record an, another lot of reviews. But yes, he's our Broadway spy, so you're going to hear him pop up every now and then reviewing different shows. Evan will be back next week when we have the amazing Mr. Craig Bioko. What? I don't know. What's happening? What reality are we in? Anyways, so you can find Anastasia on Twitter at Anastasia Barzi, one word. David Zippel at David Zippel, and you can find Spencer at Spencer Scher at Spencer S P E N C E R S H E R underscore. So there is an underscore at the end of that. But if you look below, you'll find all the links and the details because obviously you'll find us at Thrush and Treasure. And, anyways, that's it from us. You take care. Thanks for listening, and we shall see you next time. Hooroo!